The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today I'm asking the question, is there an open season on law enforcement? And why is that? And should that be happening? And what does that mean for us in general um, as, far as, as far as keeping us all safe, regardless what color we are? Well, um, my guest today is Lance LaRusso. He's a leading attorney. He's a for, former law enforcement officer himself. And he's the author of When Cops Kill. And before we go to uh, Lance, let's, I just want to put forward my idea. Of course, you know that one of my passions is talking about and helping people understand and cope with terrorism. And um, so one of my concerns is that uh, as it is open season on law enforcement, that is taking uh, cops off the streets who we need to protect us from terrorist attacks. Um, also, Black Lives Matter has been infiltrated or uh, somehow has been taken over by um, people to cause it to become a terrorist organization itself, causing more havoc in the streets than what we consider real terrorists. So we'll talk about that as well. But I want to examine some of the recent cases. I know <laughs> for myself... Um, and I would guess for all of you, uh, some, they are blurring together. You know, there were, back in the day, back, I don't know, a few years ago, um, there, were, it was, there weren't that many of these cases that made the headlines anyway, um, of particularly of minorities, particularly blacks, who were shot by police and where their force was questioned. And of course, now we have the retaliation on these cops um, in these cities by people who think that the solution to cop brutality is shooting them. Of course, it's not the same cops that they shoot, but um, in any case, they get some satisfaction out of this. So we'll talk about all of these different things um, with my guest, Mr. Lance LaRusso. Hi, Lance. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, where do you want to start? It's like, as I started to say, it's, kind of, it's all become sort of a blur, which is sad. I mean, nobody's death should be a blur. But between, it's, and it's hard to keep track um, of which side is winning, so to speak, between the minorities being killed by cops and the cops being killed by the minorities. So what is your overall um, comment on this? 
Well, I think part of what uh, you're expressing is that people tend to get numb when they read a lot of these stories in the news. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the, the people targeting, the groups targeting law enforcement officers for assassination on the street and celebrating when a cop is killed, that's not new. Uh, when I was in 1990, when I was a patrol officer on Morning Watch, I remember a handout being given out where a group was calling for the assassination of officers and um, calling for rewards. Uh, there are groups out that have been calling for um, killing officers in the streets for years. And when you see officers at these protests and they're not wearing their soft uniforms, they're wearing heavy body armor and they're wearing Kevlar helmets and they have armored personnel carriers behind the scenes. You know, the people that don't know about law enforcement tactics just need to, as we say in the South, they just need to hush. Because a lot of times those officers are dressed that way because they've received credible intelligence that along with the peaceful protesters, there could be a Dallas-style attack. That's not uncommon for them to get those threats. And the agencies and the agency heads have an obligation to use every bit of equipment they possibly can to protect those officers. And on the other side, we have people who know nothing about law enforcement, don't know about the threat because it's not communicated to them, saying, well, it looks bad for those officers to be, um, to be dressed that way. So... You know, a lot of this has to do with people just realizing that they don't know, they don't have all the facts. Until they have the facts, you need to stop prejudging people. Hmm. So what you're saying is that these, when when the crowd uh, protesters sees the officers dressed in more in heavier body armor, um, that incites them. No, I'm saying I'm not saying it incites them. Politicians are saying it incites them. I'm saying that a lot of times the officers are dressed that way because they have received credible threats that there will be attack on, an attack on the officers. You know, I'm finishing, I finished up a book, it'll be out in November, about law enforcement and media response. And I interviewed officers who were on the scene in Ferguson, on the streets, during the riots. And you had protesters, but protesters are different from rioters. And the reason those officers switched from their regular uniformed, uh, uniforms and hats was because the, the rioters were freezing water bottles, pint-sized water bottles during the day and then throwing them at law enforcement officers at night. Hmm. And if you catch one of those in the side of the head, it's going to kill you. So the uniforms don't incite riots. That's just absolute nonsense. So, okay, well, I actually hadn't heard about this. So why, so why are politicians um, annoyed that the officers are wearing the, these, this heavier gear? Um, because they're gaining headlines saying it. And a lot of people haven't heard that. And what would happen the next day is that the news reporters would be out on the scene and they would just be filming a bunch of water bottles sitting out. But you have uh, people making comments that are reckless. In Minnesota, you had the Minnesota governor um, the day after a shooting say that if he believes that if the person who was shot was white, they wouldn't have been shot. A completely reckless comment. Um, he's a, a governor of the state. He's supposed to be in charge of making sure that due process is carried out for all people, including the law enforcement officers. But people seem to enjoy making these comments, and then it can taint the process. It can taint the jury pool. And if the officer is ultimately cleared, it stays with that officer for the rest of their lives. Yes. All right. Well, why don't we talk about um, some of these cases, some of these recent cases, um, Let's see, Alton Sterling was before, um, was before Castile, right? Uh, I think they were right about the same time. They were a day or two apart. 
Okay. Well, now I've seen the video from, well, why don't you tell us about Alton Sterling and then I'll tell you my um, impression when I saw the video. Sure. Um, Alton Sterling was, uh, there was a call that he was selling CDs in the parking lot. He had been arrested for that before. The last time he was arrested for that, he was actually carrying a firearm, fought with officers, and the officers took him into custody. Um, the report, officers received a report that he was selling CDs uh, in the parking lot, uh, which is a violation of Louisiana law. He was armed and supposedly had threatened somebody with the weapon. So when they approached him, you can see them coming up to him when he's standing up against a car, and they're trying to pat him down for weapons, which is entirely appropriate. Um, under case of Kerry versus Ohio, they believe he's involved in criminal activity and he may be armed. They tried to pat him down. He refused to allow them to pat him down. They took him to the ground, which is also appropriate. And then while they were trying to handcuff him for their safety, which they can do without him being under arrest, um, when they were trying to handcuff him, they saw a firearm. And that situation where the officers are on the ground and a suspect is armed with a knife or a gun is about the most dangerous situation an officer can be in. Because the, suspect is going, because the suspect is going to be accurate at those distances with a knife or a, gun, or a gun, and there's very little time for the officers to react. Also, very little opportunities for them to escape the line of fire. So one of the officers appropriately pulls out his gun, um, and they're telling him to show him their hands. The, I've watched the video from full speed to half speed to quarter speed, and it appears that the officers acted appropriately. The problem is that the use of force, even 100% lawfully justified force, even force used in self-defense by a citizen against a, an armed robber, does not look good on video. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Um, in the video of that that I saw, and of course now with everybody taking videos um, with their cameras, you know, it's, uh, it's not just that the officers are wearing cameras, but oftentimes when these kinds of things happen, the crowd, you know, bystanders start taking videos. Um, so we got a lot, of, a lot of movies of the same thing. But in the one that I saw, um, he was lying on the ground on his back, and the officers were still firing at him. Like you could see, he was wearing a red shirt, right? And uh, you could see the blood, you know, spilling out on his shirt. And, uh, and they kept firing at him. Why? Why? Where was his hand? I think under his back or by his... He was you... actually on his stomach at one point when it first started, and I believe he may have ended up on his back. His, the gun was in one of his pockets. So if the officer is, is pointing a gun at someone and the person still has their hand in proximity to a gun or their hand on a gun, the officer doesn't have much of an option other than to clear the area, and clearing the area would have put all the rest of the public in danger who was in the parking lot, or firing to make sure that the person doesn't shoot them. See, there's an action-reaction thing that people don't understand. If a person has a weapon in their waistband and they put their hand on it and draw it and shoot it, it takes an average of 0.26 seconds for that person to draw and fire accurately. To give you an idea, 0.26 seconds to draw and fire accurately, and that's a person who's not well-trained. A blink of an eye is 0.18 seconds. So 0.26 seconds for them to fire a shot. If an officer already has their gun out and is pointing the gun at the person at a 45-degree angle and watching their hands and giving them commands, put your hand away from the gun, don't take the gun out, and, and giving them commands, 
by the time the officer perceives that they're pulling the gun out and reacts to that perception, it will take an officer 0.81 seconds to fire one shot. So 0.26 seconds to draw the gun, 0.81 seconds for the officer to fire. So the officer will be shot three times before the officer gets off one shot. So, uh, so you were saying it would take the officer 0.8 seconds to fire back. 0.81 seconds, yes. So the officer will be shot three times before they can raise their gun and fire one time. All right. Well, we will come back to this after the break. Um, maybe the officers need to be as, as well-trained as the criminals. Um, all right. My guest is Lance LaRusso. We're talking about whether it's open season on law enforcement. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And the question today is, is it open season on law enforcement? It certainly seems like it. My guest today is Lance LaRusso. He's a leading attorney. Uh, He was a former law enforcement officer, so he represents a lot of law enforcement officers in cases like what we're talking about. Uh, He's also the author of the book, When Cops Kill. So, Lance, um, during the break, uh, you were telling me about how it it isn't all bleak for cops. Tell tell the audience, the listeners, what what you just said. You know, and and it routinely happens, but since the shootings in Dallas, I have talked to many officers who have had people approach them in restaurants, thanking them for their service, coming up to them when they see them on the street um, and thanking them for their service, buying their lunch. Um, Also, uh, there's been several reports of officers gassing their cars up, their personal cars or their patrol cars at a gas pump and somebody standing by and saying, I'll watch your back while you pump gas. So there's Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of support for law enforcement. The problem is the people that are screaming against law enforcement are getting a lot of press, and the people that are screaming against law enforcement are, are lying. Um, black males are not being shot at a higher rate than white males. It's just not true. 
Um, and it, the science is there and the studies are there to prove it. Well, okay, but here's the problem. Um, with things like Black Lives Matter and, and the protests and riots and all that, the problem is, and you can speak to this better than I can, um, that because when cops go on the street now, I mean, they, cer- they certainly know about all the cops who have been killed recently in retaliation, and, um, and there's a lot of anger there, and they know that, and particularly when they stop a black man. I mean, now they have to really wonder, is this a guy who's going to kill me? So the, so the Black Lives Matter and people in that kind of movement um, are really making it worse for themselves. Well, I think the problem that you have with groups that are advocating um, resistance to law enforcement, because that's exactly what they're advocating, um, and celebrating the death of cops on social media. You know, when you look at these situations and break them down from the start, you find that they have one major commonality, and that is resistance to the officer. Um, Michael Brown was shot, and he was never shot in the back. He was not shot with his hands up in a surrender position. The first shot that was fired was inside of the vehicle, and it was a almost a press contact wound because he had his hand on um officer, uh, the, the officer's gun. So, you know, we, we said there were people in the media said, oh, that's just crazy. That could never happen. But six months prior to that, there was a Johnson City, New York police officer who was murdered in his car when a suspect approached him, rushed him at his car, took his gun away and shot him and killed him. And Darren Wilson was doing everything he could to protect his life. And he's been cleared by a homicide division internal affairs, a grand jury, the FBI, and the Department of Justice run by an African-American attorney general who was no friend of law enforcement. Hmm. He didn't break the law, but yet if you ask people about Darren Wilson, you'll still get people saying, oh, he shot and killed um, Michael Brown, and it was murder. Hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the, these things last <laughs> You know, the the headlines continue. Well, just before we leave Alton Sterling, um, but what do you have to say about the fact that I think when you were on the show before, a while ago, I asked you the same thing, like why, and I remember what you said, but I'm, I just didn't find it very satisfying. Um, why, what I don't still get is why officers have to, once they've shot, first of all, why they have to aim for um, the heart or the, you know, the chest where there, are, where there is a greater chance of um, them killing the person. And I understand that that's, you know, that was kind of the point. But um, so why they don't just disarm, shoot their arm, shoot their leg. And yes, it is a lot harder to, to hit that, to hit other parts of the body. But, um, but the other thing is specifically with Alton Sterling, why once he was on the ground and he was like, you know, making these involuntary movements after he had been shot at least twice, why did they keep sh- continuing to shoot him? Well, first of all, getting back to shooting somebody and not shooting center of mass, which is where they shoot, um, saying that they should shoot them in the arm or the leg, first of all, is just as deadly as shooting somebody in the chest. There are arteries going through your arms and your legs that will actually cause you to bleed out extremely quickly. Second, um, thinking that you can hit someone under stress, um, and, and I've shot a lot of competition. I've been a firearms instructor for 25 years. People who watch too much television when they talk about shooting um, knives out of people's hands or shooting them in the arm or the leg. 
So far as a person laying on the ground and the officer still shooting, the question comes, and the U.S. Supreme Court looked at this in several cases, but specifically in a case called Plumhoff versus Ricard in 2015, is the person still a threat to the officer? And you're saying they're involuntary movements, but first of all, I don't know that they were. I've watched the video. They don't look involuntary to me. But well, like, second, sh- like his, his thorax, his chest. Was like you know he was shooting from the he was he was not shooting he was he was moving from the uh, force of the shot or from the fact that he was dying I mean different you know he wasn't making voluntary he wasn't trying to do something his chest was like moving around not I'm not Where talking about his, his arm well you're saying that his they were near not his not going to hurt anybody his hands could kill somebody if they have his hand on a gun well but by that that's the issue. I just, I just, from what I saw in the video, it didn't seem like he could still have the uh, capacity to shoot someone. Well, well I after think really, after the second bullet, let's say. You really, that's really not accurate. Um, there have been situations where people have been shot many more times than Alton Sterling was shot, and they are still capable of shooting and killing officers. Many more times. Matter of fact, well, if you look at a situation in Miami, there were uh, four FBI agents who were all nearly killed. A couple of them were killed by suspects who received fatal shots in the first couple of seconds of a gunfight and kept shooting for four minutes. Hmm. All right. I'm sure there are some, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that, but um, all right. Well, let's talk about the next uh, recent case in the news. The, um, what was his name, Castile. Because, I, I, you know, that, that whole, those videos baffle me altogether. I mean, um, there's primarily the video is of his girlfriend, um, and she is a very strange woman. I mean, here she is. Her boyfriend is sitting next to her. He's been shot by the police, um, and we can talk, I'm not really sure why, but, um, I mean, I know that he was reaching in his pocket, she says, for his ID, and he, I mean, he didn't have a gun in that case, I don't think. But what no, I'm, he did. He had, he had a gun on his lap. He did have a gun. So, yes, it's on his lap. Well, that's interesting, because wasn't she trying to claim that he didn't have a gun? Or, well, no, she was claiming that, that he had uh, the right to carry um, right. but But anyway, didn't you think that that was a little bizarre? Here she, she puts on the... Uh, her camera, some kind of camera in the car, um, and is talking into this camera, and her boyfriend is sitting right next to her, clearly dying, and she's still talking into the camera. I mean, there well, is actually, something... what she was doing, she was doing a live video feed to Facebook from her cell phone. A live video feed what? To Facebook from her cell phone. Yes, okay, right. Um, but... That it still seems like a very bizarre thing for her to be doing while her boyfriend is, she's not even looking at him, and she's just doing this live video. I mean, what do you make of that? It did seem very strange. I mean, people have very strange reactions to, uh, to events, but uh, it did seem very strange. Uh, you know, one of the things that has come out is that the vehicle, she said they were stopped because of a broken taillight. They were actually right. stopped because of a broken taillight, and uh, Mr. Castile apparently fit the description of an armed robber. Now, I don't know whether he was the armed robber or not, but we all have to recognize that when an officer pulls someone over 
and they fit the description of an armed robber, they're going to be on more of a heightened alert than they would for a broken taillight. So, you know, her, her ex, people are going by her explanation as to exactly what occurred, and they're ignoring the fact that the officer specifically said, I told him not to reach for the gun. That's what he says at the time to the other officers that are there. So, you know, we don't really have enough information. Unfortunately, she started the video after the shooting occurred, so we don't mm. know actually what happened. But, you know, I've stopped a lot of people who were armed um, as a police officer. I never had a problem with somebody carrying a gun in the car. It never bothered me one iota. But I also have never seen someone carrying a gun and laying it on their lap um, when they were being pulled over. Well, I um, I just thought, yes, it is hard to understand exactly why the cop shot him. I mean, you know, okay, yes, obviously seeing the gun, but did he did he reach for the gun? I mean, I don't know, it does seem weird. But it seemed to me, like, have you thought of this, that what she was doing, like, why, okay, if this was Facebook Live, why didn't she say, somebody, please call 911, please call an ambulance, somebody, why wasn't she tending to her boyfriend, looking at the boyfriend and, and uh, consoling him or saying, hang on, or something like that. Instead, it was all about her, and um, I think maybe she was doing this in order to, for a lawsuit. Well, it was, her reaction, like I said, was bizarre. Probably the reason she wasn't saying to call for 911, if I give her the benefit of the doubt, is the fact that the officers had already called for an ambulance. I'm sure she heard them call for an ambulance. Um, and they would have immediately after the shots were fired. Um, the officer is telling her to stay over there on the side and not move towards him because there still was a gun in play. The mm-hmm. officer wasn't able to secure the weapon because it was on his lap. Mm-hmm. Well, still, she doesn't even look at him. You know, it's like she's, again, more concerned about her and maybe setting up a nice lawsuit for herself than um, really, I mean, she's not crying. <laughs> he's not looking like he's moving. She's not crying. She's it, it just very, and then she gave an in- interviews afterwards, and she, it was just, there's definitely something rather bizarre about her. Not that that, in, in that not that that, um, uh, changes anything about what happened between her boyfriend and the police, but I'm just saying that that was, uh, that was a very strange element to all of it. Um, what about the uh, site testing for police? I mean, I think that there are... Uh, I mean, is it that the police forces in different states are having trouble getting enough people to want to be policemen? I mean, and are they having more trouble now? I mean, it seems to me that maybe they are taking some people, letting some people go in who wouldn't be passing uh, more strenuous psychological tests. I don't know of a single police department that does not have a person pass a psychological evaluation before they're hired. No, but I mean, there are, there are different degrees of psychological evaluation um, different levels of just how much you examine the person. Right, but those are, those are screening measures that are set up by people who are licensed in psychology or psychiatry. And there's a certain level that you would go to for, you know, screening officers on a massive basis. Well, maybe there should be more, maybe it should be more uniform. Maybe there should be um, uh, federal standards for this because, uh, I really don't think that it is as rigorous in some places as it is in others. And, and just the fact that a psychiatrist or a psychologist is, or is administering it, you know, it's only as good as the test that they administer and as the 
um, how good they are in examining the person and, and really getting at what their psyche is. But nobody is saying from any of these shootings that the problem has been the officer's psychological fitness for duty. I haven't well, heard a single argument about that. But when you talk, start talking about the officer using deadly force, the complaints people are having is that the officers um, are using deadly force when they had other means available to them, as you were yeah. talking about with Alton Sterling. Yes. Um, that doesn't but, have anything to do with their psychological fitness. That has well, to do with their well no, because if, if, a, if, they're, if a cop um, has reasons from his past, to be more uh, fearful. And, you know, let's say he was uh, abused as a child, as many have been, uh, physically abused or even sexually abused, but let's just say physically abused, and, and they have a reaction in their... Uh, they're, they're, it takes longer for certain cops to react and use deadly force than for others. And there's a, so there's a certain kind of... Um, uh, you know, impulse control, there's a certain kind of just how, what, what it triggers literally in, in their mind um, when they see certain things. I mean, certainly you would agree that some cops are more patient <laughs> um, or more self-confident. I mean, it comes down to a lot of different factors than others. Well, when you're talking about a factor of moving to deadly force um, quicker than others, often it's the officer who has never used deadly force before that hesitates more uh-huh. because they've been in that, they've never been in the situation before. But, you know, when you start talking about people having uh, a psychological past, everyone has a psychological past. And if they were molested as a child and you deny them the ability to be a law enforcement officer based on that, that would be a violation of federal law. What I'm saying is, though, that people who were, let's just say physically abused for it. Let's say his father used to come home every night drunk, and he would beat him. And he would, the children like that develop a quicker sense of danger. You know, they're more, uh, they're more apt to interpret things as danger. Um, and so someone like that, I'm not saying that they should be denied, but, but certainly there should be psycholo- enough psychological tests, pen and pencil tests, and just interview tests that would um, screen out people who are uh, particularly feel particularly vulnerable or are particularly nervous, um, you know, the kinds of things where they might tend to jump the gun, so to speak. I think you're, you're missing a, a large point of the law in all this. In 1989, a case called Graham versus Connor, the United States Supreme Court said we judge officers from the actions of a reasonable police officer under similar circumstances. So we're not looking at, you know, the broad range of officers and say, well, if one officer would not have used deadly force here and 25 others would have, then the officer should not have used deadly force. We look at the prevailing standards and the reasonableness, the objective reasonableness out of the Fourth Amendment as to whether or not they use force. So if you have a situation where the use of deadly force is authorized, that's going to tell you that the officer's life or another person's life is in jeopardy. And if they're in jeopardy at that point, then they are authorized under the law to use deadly force. They're not required to hesitate anymore because we go to funerals for officers that hesitate. 
Well, okay, but you're not saying, I mean, yes, let's talk about the funerals, um, but you're not saying that, I mean, certainly you wouldn't say that no officer or there have not been cases where officers have used deadly force when um, they could have used something less. I will tell you that every day, and it's happened to me at least three or four times in a career, officers do not use force when they are legally authorized to do so. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, let's talk about the man who shot the police officers um, in, uh, in Baton Rouge, Gavin Eugene Long. He killed three cops on his 29th birthday. It almost seems like he was giving himself a birthday present. Um, you know, you've probably watched his video, right? Um, I have not seen this video, uh, but I can tell you it probably was mere fortuity that was actually on his birthday because they've proven now that he was stalking officers in Los Angeles and possibly Dallas. So when he came up with the idea to shoot the officers in Baton Rouge, he did some advanced planning, uh, but he had been looking for uh, targets for quite some time. Well, I know, I know that, but I, psychologically, I don't think it was a coincidence that it was his 29th birthday. I mean, yes, the, the events of the recent weeks supposedly you know, made him uh, put his plan into action faster, but there are unconscious reasons for these things. But um, his, he made a video, and it was so, um, you know, talking about, it was in a, a video that was inciting people to kill cops. And what it made me think of was the kinds of videos that terrorists make to uh, incite people to commit acts of terror. He was very um, well-spoken and very, it seemed very reasonable, except for what he was saying, but um, he, he was able to communicate this in a very reasonable way, as if he was, I don't know, talking about uh, how to bake a cake or something. Um, and and certainly people watching that video, it, it, it could incite people to kill cops. I mean, he laid out he laid out the reasons why you should go and do it. And he's not the only one. Those videos are all over the internet. After the officers were shot and killed in Dallas, there were people praising their death. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, you know, it comes down to whether it's about terrorism or shooting cops, you know, killing... The world is erupting in anger. And oh, I agree, and that's why we keep talking, and people are talking about, and I've, I've come to the social media with this, people are talking about regulating firearms. It's not the hardware, it's the hatred. Yes. And where there's hatred, there's going to be a means to kill officers. Um, yes. You know, these types of methods to target officers have been going on for a long time. And famously, Bill Ayers um, in Chicago um, was one of those people who was using bombs to do so in the 60s. Uh-huh. Well, okay. So, I mean, you know, cops represent, putting aside the idea of um, of them you know, they're stopping you in your car or something like that. I mean, which is a cop in general represents authority. And it is particularly people who have a problem with authority or people who have a problem with the system, like terrorists who have a problem with 
um, the system, you know, that their life is not turning out the way they wanted, and they're basically um, trying to destroy society. And the same thing with cops, because it is trying to destroy someone who represents society, the authority in society. I think that's true. I think that you also have a situation where um, they're striking out at the authority because they um, because they can with impunity. I mean, there's no doubt some of the groups that have been calling for the assassination of officers are domestic terror groups. I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that they're domestic terrorists. And we've been listening to that rhetoric for a long time. We know that there's training camps where these people train. Uh, we see people chanting in the streets, what do we want, dead cops, when do we want them now? And it gets some publicity and airtime, but nobody is investigating these people and wondering, um, well, why are we allowing folks to get away with um, inciting that type of violent behavior? Yes. Um, you know, there's some... It's making me. There's some political correctness in this, like the um, the truck driver in Nice, France. Um, a cop. He was parked on near the promenade or on the promenade um, before he went ahead with his with mowing people over. And a cop had asked him what he was doing there, and he said he was uh, going to be delivering ice cream. And the cop let him stay. I mean, I think there was a, a big degree of political correctness there. Well, we need to take another break. Um, we're talking about whether it is open season on law enforcement and what, what this means for the rest of us. Um, my guest is Lance LaRusso. He's the author of a book called When Cops Kill. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hey, welcome back. Uh, this is to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Lance LaRusso. His book is When Cops Kill. 
um, as a former law enforcement officer, <laughs> you make a great defense attorney for cops who are uh, caught in these kinds of situations. So can you tell us how these cases typically um, unfurl and how, how you go about uh, pr- you know, mounting their defense? Sure. That's one of the reasons I wrote the book, When Cops Kill, was to let people know what actually happens after an officer-involved shooting. If there's a death, um, there is a full-blown homicide investigation. The officer is considered a suspect in that investigation. Then you have an internal affairs investigation that is going to be looking at um, the tactics the officer used, their training, their equipment, um, and whether or not they followed policy. Following that, there will be a prosecutorial inquiry, either through a grand jury or through a district attorney just looking at the case. And then you can have a federal inquiry um, by the Department of Justice. And if the officers cleared on all of those, as we see, for instance, in Ferguson, um, the officer could still face a civil suit, even if they're cleared of all of those. So the first thing that we're trying to do when we get involved, when I get involved in one of these cases, is to find out what the truth is, find out what the evidence is. What did the officer know at the time they contacted the person? Uh, what is the history of the person? What is their, uh, what uh, drugs were in their system, for example? People don't act appropriately. They don't act normally when they're taking drugs. And this is a perfect example of why people need to wait. An average tox screen will take about six to eight weeks to come back. But people want quick answers, and they want a thorough investigation. And those are two incompatible goals. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, t- continue. So, then what? <laughs> continue with the process. Sure. I mean, we just walk the officer through those uh, investigations. And when I talk about it, when cops kill, the toll that it takes on the officers. You know, people have this impression that officers use deadly force, and then they just move on. I mean, these are profoundly life-changing events for these officers. Um, I interviewed officers in When Cops Kill uh, that had used deadly force, who had, others who had been shot in the line of duty, other family members who had gotten a phone call. And one officer that I interviewed had been involved in a shooting where he shot and killed someone who had killed two police officers. And 15 years later, when I was interviewing him, we had to stop the... Um, interview three times because he became, he became so emotional. He said that his goal, he had been cleared. It was a perfectly legitimate uh, use of force. And uh, he had been um, trying to go for 24 hours without thinking about it. And he hadn't made it yet. And that was 15 years later. Another really interesting interview I did was a guy who um, was a police officer and also was a reservist in the special forces in the army. He spent 30 years in special forces. And I asked him what was more stressful being a street cop or being in special forces. And I thought I knew what the answer was going to be. Uh-huh. And to put this in context, he actually was in Afghanistan a month or two after 9-11. He said, by far, being a street cop was more stressful. He mm. said that when you're in a combat zone, you start out at a certain level of stress and you expect to get shot at, to shoot people, to have things blow up, and that you're probably not going to come home with the same number of people you went on patrol with. But as a law enforcement officer, you go from the mundane um, the boring day when nothing's going on to 100% stress of an armed robbery or uh, a bank robber driving by you on the street and you get into a car chase, you go from zero stress to maximum stress in a microsecond. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you will admit, though, that there are more cops uh, killing, using deadly force, 
Um, I'm not going to say necessarily killing blacks, but uh, I mean, especially minorities, but just killing in general. I mean, I don't know. Would you say that that it's just that the media is reporting on this more, or because certainly in California, I mean, it is so frequent that just listening to the radio news, there seems to be um, different kinds of situations, but where cops are killing people uh, almost every day. They have not increased. Officers generally use deadly force and kill people less than or right under 1,000 people a year. Officers make between 11 and 12 million custodial arrests a year. So when you look at those numbers, when you're talking about custodial arrests, an officer will probably contact six to ten people a day for every person that they arrest. So even if you look at the 11 million, if the officers are contacting 66 million people per year, arresting 11 million of them, and less than 1,000 people are shot and killed by law enforcement every day, it is an extremely low percentage. So when we're looking at overall um, use of force by law enforcement officers, a third of officers are assaulted every year. So, you know, it's to say that the officers are, uh, you know, using force at a higher rate or using deadly force at a higher rate just isn't true. The facts don't bear it out. Well, then I guess it is maybe that it's more reported in the media. But, um, I mean, also, do you think that one of the things that might well have been increasing is, um, the way that people, I mean, I'm sure it's that years ago, um, if a cop stopped you, you wouldn't necessarily fight back. It seems like people are fighting back much more these days and that that escalates the whole situation. No, there's no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, I just watched a video before you called uh, for this interview of an officer who was uh, looking for someone, a carjacking suspect, on a bus. Uh, the officer gets on the bus because there's a disturbance call, realizes it's the carjacker, takes her gun out because a guy was trying to carjack somebody. It was a felony, forcible felony. She takes her gun out, and the suspect immediately goes to try to grab her gun. Hmm. A second officer comes on the scene. The first officer's in a life-or-death struggle for the su- with the suspect for her gun, and the second officer comes on and shoots him. Um, so, you know, you, you are dealing with situations where people fighting with law enforcement more, and there's a commonality in a lot of these shootings. Michael Brown, the officer, was engaged in a physical confrontation with the officer. Alton Sterling, the officer, was engaged in a physical confrontation with the officer. Um, it happens more and more, um, and the bottom line is when the officer says to someone they're under arrest, there is due process, there's a hearing, there's a trial. On the street is not the time to be fighting with the police. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, and of course, I, I uh, relate a lot of these things back to video games permeating our world and particularly um, making people feel like, like they are entitled or like they should, um, well, that they should disrespect cops and that they should fight fight with them that, you know, I mean, remember the day when it used to be your friendly, you know, cops come into kindergarten and, and uh, it's your friendly cop, we're here to help you. And, and there's respect that was started from an early age. And that just seems to be lacking these days. Of course, there seems to be respect seems to be lacking towards lots of uh, kinds of people and institutions in society that there once was. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, law enforcement has made a lot of, uh, tried to make a lot of bridges with that. There was a high school program that, I'm trying to think it was Michigan or Minnesota, 
where officers were going into the schools and talking to the kids about, you know, staying away from drugs, staying away from crime, and telling them, you know, you, would, you should not run from the police. You shouldn't fight with the police. And parents were in such an uproar, some of the parents were in such an uproar, they canceled the program. Because what? they said the officers should not be telling people that they shouldn't run from the police. Yeah, you need to you need to look at it. It was a couple of weeks ago. They can't. They announced that they canceled the program, and I think it had gone. I don't know if there were school resource officers or there were others that were in the school. And and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, hatred on uh, on the other side of this issue. People are blaming law enforcement for not reaching out, but you know, there's a lot of concern on their parts right now. There was an officer in Georgia who got home. And uh, a few minutes after he got home, someone sprayed his house with bullets. A gang member sprayed his house with mm. bullets. There was an officer in Ohio uh, yesterday or the day before who bought a sandwich while he was working and uh, was eating the sandwich, and somebody put shards of glass in it. Oh, wow. So this is, uh, you know, it's a violent world out there. And unfortunately, you know, when you have officers dead in, uh, in Dallas, in Baton Rouge, and you have people on social media praising the actions of the killer, you know, it's for people to say that it's law enforcement not reaching out to the community, it's a little disingenuous. The officers are the ones in the community trying to allow kids to go to school, trying to prevent drug dealers from selling drugs on street corners, and they're the ones that are solving the homicides when two-year-olds are shot accidentally in drive-bys. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, um, that's really disappointing, shocking, that... Uh, that parents would protest, you know, against um, against cops having an educational program like that. I mean, what? Because they they think they they want to encourage their kids to run from police because police are the bad guys. Oh, that's what the one of the per- people that I heard interviewed. That's kind of what it sounded like they were saying. Wow. I mean, there's this this really uh, deep in mistrust of this. It comes back to what we were saying before, so much anger and distrust of society and so much... Um, I mean, I think a lot of this, too, is coming from the recession. Uh, people angry about their life not turning out the way that they expected or feeling like, um, you know, living in conditions that uh, they don't think are fair. Um, it, it, but, it's, but what you were saying before about... Um, People cheering, you know, when these cops were killed, it's like what the terrorists do. It's like ISIS, you know, um, cheering the guy in Nice. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. I mean, there is definitely a parallel there. And this is one of the things that, you know, has been a problem because, yes, there is, uh, there's poverty in some of these communities, but the law enforcement officers can't solve that. Right. You know, they didn't create that. They can't solve it. There was famously a case in Georgia um, last week, you can look it up on the Internet, there was a uh, young man, he happened to be black, who was riding a bike, I think it was 30 or 50 miles, to uh, go to college. And the officers saw him riding, and this obviously in the Georgia heat, it's not healthy to do that. They stopped him and asked him what he was doing, and he told them how many miles he was riding. Um, they got him a hotel room for the night, and they talked to some people in the community a small business owner hired him on the spot and got him a job, and the story got out. Um, they've raised, I think, on a uh, GoFundMe account, they've raised about $184,000 for him now to go get his education. That oh, started wow. with a law enforcement officer pulling him over and saying, are you okay? Hmm. Wow. See, we need more of these stories to get out in the media to counteract some of the 
other ones. The problem is, I guess, that some, those people, people who do those kinds of things, um, don't really look for publicity for themselves. You know, they're kind of humble about it. And so, I mean, other than doing this GoFundMe campaign, but I mean, so it's less likely to get uh, on the news, especially since it's not, if it bleeds, it's, it leads. Uh, but we do, we, we definitely, now that isn't, we definitely do need fairer reporting of all of this. Um, but also we need to weed out the, however many there are, the, the small percentage, whatever the percentage is, I, I don't, can't even try to put a percentage on it, but there, you will admit that there are some bad apples. There are some bad apples, there are a lot of bad apple psychiatrists. I don't mind saying that. Um, and, and, you know, there are some bad apples in every profession. Well, when you hear about a bad cop being caught and prosecuted, I can tell you, first of all, every cop wants bad cops prosecuted. Mm-hmm. But second, when you hear about a bad cop being prosecuted, remember, it's other police officers that arrested that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I guess also it has to do with some cases that weren't really very fair or that kind of leave a bad taste in, in people's mouth, like the, the guy in California who was mentally ill and who was killed by the police. I I'm, can't remember his name off the top of my head now, but you know who I mean, right? Um, no, I'm not sure which situation you're talking about. Oh, uh, there, was, there was a homeless man um, in, and in Southern California who um, kind of got into it with the cops and they didn't really understand. I mean, that's part of the problem. I know that it's being addressed in some places that um, to better be able to, to handle and, um, people who have mental illness. That's one of well, the problems, too. It, well, there's classes that have been taught for the past, I don't know, 10, 12 years um, called crisis intervention training. I've taught in those classes um, where it deals with how law enforcement officers um, understand as best they can and try to cope with mental illness. But you have to understand when a person gets to a point where the officers are called, a lot of times those family members have reached their maximum ability and yes. they're calling because the person is dangerous. A lot of those situations, the officer uses deadly force within 30 to 60 seconds of upon arriving at the scene. And when the person is actually facing the officer with a weapon or they're in such close proximity where they can cause a serious bodily injury or death to the officer or another person, at that point, the officer doesn't have much of a choice. The Monday morning quarterbacking says, well, why can you do this? Why can you do that? You know, they have an obligation to protect. Yes, we, a lot more work needs to be done, and certainly it should not be open season on the police, or else we're all going to be left unprotected. Well, thank you so much, Lance LaRusso. The book, again, is called When Cops Kill. Um, you have other books also, if you go to Amazon, or is there a particular website you want people to go to? Uh, people can get uh, When Cops Kill at whencopskill.com. It's also available on Amazon, um, and the book on law enforcement and media will be out in the fall. Maybe we can talk cool. again. Yes, that, that would be good. All right, well, thank you so much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 